Hi, welcome to another impacting sermon from NBC Church. We hope that this message encourages, challenges and equips you in your walk with Christ. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast as it helps with exposure and getting the gospel out to thousands of people. Thank you. It's just uh, seizing over the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The year when Jeremiah wrote Lamentations was 587 BC. It was one of the most horrendous, fear-filled, horrific years in Judah's history. The Northern Kingdom had already been carried away into Assyria some 130 years previous. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who was told not to marry because of the grief and the pain that the Lord was visiting upon his people during his lifetime, wept and prophesied and wept and spoke the word of God. When other prophets and others who bore God's name were saying, deliverance will come. And they were pulling down horns and girdles and yokes and making out that God was going to deliver Judah from the Babylonians. Jeremiah said, there's only one way he'll do that. And that is if you as a nation and as a people repent and stop grieving and provoking the Lord. I don't know about you, but to me, some of the most tragic passages in the whole of Scripture are those days after the Babylonians have swept through Jerusalem, appointed Gedaliah as ruler of that remnant nation, while the majority of the nation has been carried up into Babylon, then Gedaliah is assassinated, and the remnant of that remnant come to Jeremiah and say, what should we do? And they've already made their minds up what they're going to do. And Jeremiah says, stay here. And they say, no, God's not speaking through you. We're going to Egypt. And Jeremiah kind of disappears from the scriptural record at that point as he follows the faithful weeping prophet that he is the nation of God into an exile that they did not need and were not meant to go into. Except he leaves us this book of poetry, this book of lamentations, where, in case we ain't got it, the grief of God's heart and the horror of his judgment upon his people is made manifest. And there's something very, very powerful about the book of Lamentations because it's made up of five chapters. And the first and second chapter have 22 verses each. 
And the fourth and fifth chapter have 22 verses each. And the book in the middle, the book from which our reading came this morning, has 66 verses. Three times 22. And the weeping prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes the time to write these five laments. Four of them with 22 verses, one of them with 66 verses in the middle. In a way that is with the most majestic poetry known to man. And what we see in those laments, all five of them that together make up the book of lamentation, is God's heart, even in judgment. And we sang some of those verses this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. Because of his mercies we are not consumed. And it's majestic and it's glorious. But let's not take away the horror of what was going on. What Jeremiah the weeping prophet was seeing in Jerusalem at that time. Cannibalism. Betrayal. Starvation. And then the Babylonians sweeping through, not just to capture everybody and send them off into exile. It was horrific. And where was God? Where is God when his people suffer? Let's just remind ourselves of some of those verses that we read this morning. Verse 31 to verse 33. It's going to be verse 33 that's our text this morning. And of course those of you who are mathematicians will know that if there's 22 verses in each of the first two books and 22 verses in the last two books and 66 verses in the middle book, chapter rather, then the middle verse, the verse on which the whole of the book of Lamentations hinges and pivots is chapter 3. Verse 33. So let's see that verse in context. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. Who's causing the grief? The premise there is that God is causing the grief. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart, or does not afflict willingly, as the King James Version puts it, or grieve the children of men. But the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah here is very, very clear. It's God who's doing the afflicting. It is God who is judging and afflicting his people. To get a sense of the magnitude of that, turn with me briefly to Psalm 87. Psalm 87, beautiful, beautiful psalm about how God sees Jerusalem. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. Psalm 87, we'll read the first few verses. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, Zion, city of our God. Can't resist singing the hymn almost, eh? Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. 
The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. 500 years before the weeping prophet wrote the book of Lamentations, the sons of Korah were singing that psalm about the nature of God's love for Jerusalem. About the fact that God recorded in a book, in a register, the names of every single person that was born in that city. Do you get a sense of how much Jeremiah was weeping and grieving as he wrote the book of Lamentations? Which tells us in Lamentations 3 verse 33 that God does not afflict from his heart. There's two things we need to notice in that statement that God does not afflict from his heart. God does afflict. That's the assumption. That's the premise. When mankind, including God's people, gets to a stage where they have grieved the living God and provoked the living God to a point where they are simply not listening, God afflicts. But he does not do it willingly. He does not do it from the heart. Let's just say a little bit more about that aspect of God's character and nature. Turn with me if you would to Isaiah chapter 28 and we'll just read verse 21. The chapters Isaiah 24 to 29 uh, contain many of the references that are picked up in the book of Revelation about an end time tribulation for Jerusalem and in verse 21 of Isaiah 28, we read the following words. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perazim. It was on Mount Perazim that David finally vanquished the Philistines after he'd become king of Israel in Hebron. It was a total, total victory. As in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused. What happened in the valley of Gibeon? The five Amorite kings were defeated and slaughtered totally under Joshua. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perazim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed, strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien is his work. God has an alien work, a work that is alien and strange to his fundamental characteristic. And that work is justice, judgment, at times including affliction. We read the same in Ezekiel chapter 33. Thank you Paul for reminding us that Ezekiel comes straight after Lamentations. Ezekiel 33 and I think we're about to read verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God's strange work, God's alien work, is judgment on a people who do not listen persistently. There was a vote in the South Australian Parliament about 10 days ago. 
The vote was part of a bill that's being passed called the Health Care Access Bill. But what was disguised in access to health care is access to abortion, which they call health care these days. And 44 MPs voted last week in Adelaide about whether to ban people praying silently within 150 yards of abortion clinics in South Australia. And praise God for the 20 MPs, the 20 state MPs who voted, we need to be able to pray outside abortion clinics. We need to be able to offer a woman one last chance of hope before she commits an act that she will regret for the rest of her days and killing a human life in the process. Praise God for those 20 state members of parliament that voted on the side of the unborn child who has no voice in this earth, but who is loved by the living God. But 24 of their colleagues from across all parties pushed that amendment down and basically said, no, it is now a criminal offence in South Australia to pray silently within 150 yards of an abortion clinic. And it is an offence to speak to a woman on her way in to an abortion clinic about the fact that maybe there's another way. Maybe there's another choice. There's a movement, an organisation in South Australia today, praise God for it, it's called Love Them Both. Love the child, love the mother. May its voice be heard in this state. Because the last thing I want to do today, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm not giving some kind of like political speech. But there's reasons why Victoria has had such a torrid time with COVID-19. Because when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What foundations is God talking about there? He's talking about the foundations of his word. And another way of translating that verse is, if the foundations are destroyed, what have the righteous done to allow that to happen? Where have our voices been? The question is not, where is God when people are suffering? The question is, where are God's people? When people are suffering. Where are God's people? When parliaments like they did in Adelaide 10 days ago. Pass legislation under the guise of health care access. That allows for the slaughter of innocents. That's the kind of action. Persistent and stubborn and proud. That leads to God's strange alien work where he afflicts but not from the heart if affliction and judgment do not come from the essence the center of God's heart what does Jeremiah tells us turn if you would 
to Jeremiah. I'll find it. Jeremiah 32, verse 41. This passage comes in the glorious section about the new covenant that God will make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And in verse 40 of Jeremiah 32, we read these words, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. God's heart is to plant people, to rejoice in people, to do them good all the days of their lives. That's what God's heart is. When Moses asked to see the glory of God because he knew in Exodus 33 that he could not go on leading this people without seeing daily the glory of God. God said to him, make two new stone tablets and present yourself on Mount Sinai. I'm going to read in a moment from Exodus 34 verse 6 if you're with me. And we're told this, after Moses had done that, and he was hidden in the cleft of a rock. Exodus 34 verse 6, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in chesed, steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping chesed, steadfast love, for thousands of generations, for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. There's two lots of generations noted in that passage. Do you see it? God isn't saying that generation 1001, <laughs> he will suddenly cease his chesed, his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He's saying that for time immemorial, people, if you will allow me, I will pour upon you from the essence of my heart and being my steadfast, unswerving, determined, persistent love. Thousands of generations. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Notice that. This is strange work. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Do you see there? Even when God himself compares his steadfast love with his work of judgment, ones to a thousand generations, endless, limitless, infinite, and the other for discipline, for bringing us back to him, is for three or four. In preparing for this sermon, God gave me a word. He didn't give me a word. Well, he did, I suppose. He did. He gave me a word. The word was provoke. And I felt like he was saying, Philip, notice in scripture how many times I say that my people provoke me. So I counted. I got my Strong's Concordance out and I counted. God speaks of his people provoking him in the Old Testament 31 times. And then he says to his people through the prophets, 
that you provoked me to wrath, to anger, to judgment, 25 times. That's 56 times in the whole of the Old Testament that God was provoked to anger, to wrath, to judgment. But notice something. God needs to be provoked to those things. They're not the things that flow out of him naturally. We should say they're supernaturally, really. They're not the essence of his being. They are the essence of his being in that God is not like some great big pie and you can remove little bits of it that you don't like. God is perfect judgment as well as perfect chesed, perfect steadfast love. But he needs to be provoked persistently and successively over time before he turns to anger and wrath and judgment. Now think about it. Or get your wife or your husband or your best friend to think about it. What are you by default? If somebody comes upon you unexpectedly, what do they see? What do they get? My wife's saying, I know what it is with you, Philip. It's grumpiness or grouchiness. That's what your default position is. And some of you are smiling because maybe that's true of your husband as well. I don't know. Maybe it's laziness with you that people get the first time they come across you. But when we come across God, the essence of his being is steadfast love and abundant mercy. Let's look at a couple of passages that tell us of that. Isaiah 55 verses 6 to 11. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And he will have and return unto God and he will have compassion upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. You see that word abundantly? There's no begrudging there. If mentally you made a note that God would begrudgingly pardon you when you'd messed up again. That's not what it says. It says abundantly. I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking about this when my four-year-old son, years ago now, disappeared in the town of North Allerton in the northeast of England. And I had my other two boys with him. And then suddenly he wasn't there anymore. And we spent about 20 minutes frantically searching the streets of North Allerton looking for Joel. And I was visualizing all kinds of terrible things. We got back to the car because I was about to ring the police because we didn't have mobile phones in those days. And there he was, sitting by the driver's seat. Well, not in the seat, by the door, by the, by the side of the car. Did I chastise him? Absolutely not. There were tears everywhere. There was this stuff everywhere as I held him close to me. And later on, I might have said something like, where did you go? And why? But that wasn't the automatic reaction of my heart. Praise God. Hebrews 10 verse 24 tells us that we are to provoke one another to what? Love and good works. God needs provoking to anger and wrath because the essence of his heart is perfect love. We need provoking to love and good works. Think about that for a little while. We'll come back to it. 
How does that scripture about abundant pardon in Isaiah 55 go on? It says, for your thought, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, my, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts, and my ways than your thought, your ways. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, that it may bring forth and seed and bud, and give bread to the eater and seed to the sower. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And then what does it say? You shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. Because what pours from God's heart is abundant rain. Because his abundant mercy is higher than the heavens are above the earth. Turn to Psalm 103 verse 11. I promise I'll stop dotting around in the scriptures after this. Psalm 103 verse 11. This is the only other reference in the Old Testament to something being higher than the heavens above, above the earth. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his what? His chesed, his steadfast love. Toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. So father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You know what compassion means? It means to suffer with. When you sin. God suffers with you. We have such a low view of God. That we think. That when we sin, God's thinking, I'm going to catch you out. You only do this for so long. You can only think those thoughts for so long. And we get scared, if we've got any sense. But it's still such a low view of God. Because that's not how God looks on us when we're sinning. He sees a blemish. He sees a cancer on his body. And he will stop at nothing to get rid of that cancer. Whether it's in our head or in our actions or on our mouth. And he says, I love you so much that I'm going to be relentless in my excision of that cancer, that blemish. Those patterns of thinking, those patterns of talking and speaking that you persist in. Because I love you, I love you, I love you. Do you have a sense of it? So God has a strange work. A work of affliction when successively and persistently a people, an individual, a church, a community, a nation, a world ignore him and stubbornly and proudfully stand against what he has given us in his word. But God's heart. God's true heart. What flows from him. What doesn't need any provoking at all. Is his steadfast. Persevering. Relentless love. And compassion. Remember Moses prayed. Show me your glory. And what did God say? You'll see my goodness. Passing by you. There in the cleft of the rock. You won't see my face. 
But you'll see my goodness. He prayed for glory. And what was the glory? It was God's goodness. And what does John tell us? The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to know what's in God's heart? Look at Jesus. You want to know what's in God's compassion, what it looks like, how it manifests itself? Read the Gospels. And then church, provoke one another to love and good works. Because what's in us naturally is the upside down opposite of what's in the Lord. But as we grow, as we support one another, as this body that he loves and cherishes and gave himself for, we don't come to church to provoke one another by saying, Linda, you need to do more good works this week. Or John, you need to love people more. That's not how it happens, is it? How it happens is we contemplate him. We worship him. We behold his glory. As of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. There is judgment in this COVID-19 coronavirus. Christians spent the first months of this year saying, Lord, take this away. Give us a vaccine. Come against it in Jesus' name. And you know what? God was perfectly capable of answering those prayers. But there's a deeper work that he is seeking to point humanity to in these days there is a deeper need that he is seeking to humanity to short to speak to humanity about in these days and the only people who know the truth of it are you and me not just you and me of course our brothers and sisters worldwide but our role in this is to hold out the word of life to recognize that the foundations have been destroyed and undermined successively and persistently by numerous governments across this earth. And then to go out there and live real good, preaching the word as we do so, holding out the word of life as we do so, that men and women, even in the midst of this time of trial, might repent of their sins, and turn back to God. Or maybe turn to him for the first time ever. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart. Or grieve the children of men. Let's pray. Loving God and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thankful that you led and inspired the prophet Jeremiah to write this book. These five laments that collectively make up the book of Lamentations. 
We thank you, Lord, that in that book are contained the words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. But we recognize too, Lord, that also in this book is a warning that though you do not afflict from the heart, you do not do it willingly, yet for man and mankind's good, you do afflict to cause men and women to repent and to turn to you. Lord, this earth has been shaken this year, just like Jerusalem was shaken in the year 587 BC. Thankfully, Lord, we've experienced nothing like what Jerusalem experienced in the year 587 BC. But Lord, we pray for the nations of this world. We pray for our communities and neighborhoods. We pray this morning, Lord Jesus, for President Donald Trump and for his first lady, Melania, Lord, as they laid aside with this very virus, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would do a work in their hearts and minds. We pray for all of those world leaders, Lord, who are persisting in saying the hope is in a vaccine. We pray that you'll drop those words from their lips, Lord, and cause them instead to seek the living God as revealed in the word of God, as lived and demonstrated in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for the members of our parliament here in South Australia, Lord. We bless you for those 20 who stood out for the right to pray in silence that unborn infants might not be murdered. But we pray for the other 24, Lord. And for this government, Lord, as it continues to debate this so-called access to health care bill. We pray that you will open their eyes about what's really at stake here, Lord, before it's too late. Lord, may we be people who provoke one another to love and good works. Any of us, Lord, that have allowed negative thought patterns to rule our minds. Any of us, Lord, that have got too comfortable with negative words coming out of our mouths. Any of us, Lord, that prefer laziness or slovenliness or entertainment to being the people in Christ that you've called us and gifted us to be. Lord, we are sorry. We repent. And we pray, Lord Jesus, as we repent, that you would wash us in your precious blood and gather us up in your abundant arms of mercy and compassion. And then so fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we might live and work till our dying breath for your praise and glory. In wrath, Lord, remember mercy. We know that judgment begins with the house of God. So in these moments of quiet, Lord, help us to allow your spirit to sift our hearts and our minds. That Jesus might be glorified in thought, word and deed. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit world without end. Amen. Before Paul blesses us and leaves us with a blessing, we began this morning with Come Thou Fount. 
And I just want to point out a little something in the final verse of Come Thou Fount. I'll read it to you, though we sang it together earlier. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Or take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts. Thank you for joining us for NBC Church Today. Our church meets at 1 McDonald Street, Narracourt, South Australia, 10 a.m. Sundays. Bible studies during the week help dive deeper into the Word, and our mission is to see Jesus glorified across the country through biblical missions and evangelism. Please consider leaving a review of the podcast to help further God's kingdom. Thank you.